says, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And Father, we humbly just pause again to ask that now you would just grant to us the supernatural help of your Holy Spirit that we might understand and comprehend these very scriptures set before us this morning. We pray that your same spirit who inspired the word of God would now be our helper and our teacher, that you would interpret and explain and apply the word of God to our hearts. Lord, we don't want to hear wiser, persuasive words of a man. We want to experience the demonstration of your spirit and your power, speaking directly and personally things to our hearts. So bless your word Speak to us now and prepare us accordingly. We ask together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, in light of this passage this morning, it would be appropriate to ask, How valuable is the Word of God in your life? How valuable, how important is the Word of God into your life? Now, due to its divine authority and its power to bring so many benefits, many blessings and helpful things into our life, certainly the Word of God should hold a place of great importance in each and every one of our lives, far superior than most, honestly, all other things. These verses in front of us this morning encourage continuous exposure and continual accountability to the Word of God. Now, that's important for this reason. Certainly, there is the benefit among the Christian family, among uh, God's children, of accountability that we have with each other as fellow believers. And that's a wonderful thing. It has its place. It has its purpose. The Bible tells us that we're not to forsake the assembling together of ourselves as some are doing and will continue to do. But it's important that we gather so that we can stir up love and good deeds among one another and having relationships and building relationships into our lives with fellow Christians is important because God uses us to hold each other accountable with how we're doing to remain healthy spiritually. But I tell you this, there is no greater accountability to help live a godly life, to help live properly and successfully than personal accountability to the voice that comes to us through the very word of God. There is no greater benefit of accountability any person can find in their life than having personal accountability to the very word of God itself. Because it will say to us things that other people won't and it will speak to us in more powerful and direct ways that has a greater benefit to us than anything any person could speak into our lives. Remember, all of our hearts are perilous and poisonous in the condition that they're in naturally. We've seen that as we've gone through 2 Timothy chapter 3 together, as Paul talked about how in the last days perilous times will come and all he talked about was the perilous condition of humanity, 
of our hearts. Now, the good news is this. Though our hearts are filled with poison in their natural sinful condition, there is a powerful prescription that God has left for humanity on this earth, and it's this book that we're holding this morning. This is God's antidote for the sinfulness and the sickness of the cancer of every human heart on this planet. The prescription of the word of God can have great benefit in all of our lives. Again, remember in verses one through five of this chapter, Paul spoke about the defiled, diseased condition of the human heart, how men are lovers of themselves. And he went off on this list, lovers of money and boasters and proud and blasphemers and unthankful and unloving and unfree. And he just went through this exhaustive list of all the sinful struggles in all of our lives. And then in verse 13, as we finished together last week, he then said there in verse 13 that evil men and imposters in these last days are going to grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So uh, again, notice false teachers, deceitful workers, imposters spiritually seeking to deceive and to manipulate and misguide people under the covering of the things of God but trying to prey upon people now considering this reality that 2 Timothy 3 points out to us how as the last days continue to unfold of which we are now in that times are going to get darker that the world is scheduled for greater deception than has ever existed how does someone stay safe and stay stable spiritually in the midst of such dark times morally and spiritually and such great deception. Well, Paul is going to instruct Timothy how to do that in these remaining verses, and he's going to say it's by continuing in the Word of God, not leaving the Word of God, staying rooted and anchored in the Word of God. So he says, Timothy, listen, Evil men and imposters, they're going to grow worse and worse in their deception. Verse 14, look at it. He says, in contrast, however, but you must continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them and that from childhood, this is what he had known, the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So notice Paul begins by sort of reminding Timothy of the wonderful spiritual foundation that he was able to begin his life with. He says, remember, Timothy, what things he says there, verse 14, that you've already learned and you've already become assured of by this point in your adult life. There are things that you learn through your upbringing that you are now very certain of and sure of. Uh, And he says that from childhood, verse 15, this is what it was. You've come to know, you've known the holy scriptures. Now, we know from chapter one, a ways back when we were there, remember that Timothy was blessed to have a very godly mother as well as a very godly grandmother in his life who poured great amounts of influence into him no doubt they were his primary spiritual instructors he had the same genuine faith chapter one told us that his mother and his grandmother had he was a third generation believer because they had passed on to him the truths of god and no doubt they were his primary spiritual instructors as a young boy exposing him to the scriptures imparting to him the truths and the ways of god and i think this probably happened in multiple ways no doubt I can envision that this happened privately. 
just in their personal family life and the dynamics of relationships of family life that they were teaching young Timothy at home. They were, they were explaining to him truths from the word of God, probably giving him maybe little Bible memorization verses and just pouring into his life from the earliest age the seeds of the word of God in a private manner and as well, certainly as well, bringing him to synagogue worship on a regular basis where the word of God was read and explained by teachers and rabbis helping him again to further learn and develop the truths of the word of God to hear what God's word would say to him so Paul speaks in these verses of how he had learned and become assured of and he says knowing Timothy from whom you've learned these things again a reference to that godly upbringing you know who you've learned these things from that his mother and grandmother in this beautiful way their influence, their example, their instruction shows us that they felt a great stewardship in their hearts with Timothy's young life. They had a personal conviction that it was their God-given duty to impart the things of God, to share the scriptures with this young man as he was growing up, that he might know God and live in relationship with him. Now, to me, that's very beautiful because early on in the law, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God speaking there made it very evident that a person's personal love for God could partly be demonstrated by them doing something. And the thing that they could personally demonstrate their love for God in doing, in part, was by leading their own children to God and transferring their belief and their spiritual faith in the things of Yahweh God, the one true God, was a way they could show their love for God. Let me read to you Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 7. This is what God declared there. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then he says right afterwards, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently. To your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. So God speaking of loving him with our heart and soul and mind and strength said to the people of God, one of the ways that you can convey that to me is he said, teach these things diligently. The idea is not passively, intentionally. That there was an intentional investment of the parents, those of the next generation, to impart to the upcoming generation the ways of God. And notice, not in a formal way, he said, when you sit in your house, around your dinner table, as you're hanging around, having family time, when you walk by the way, when you lie down at night, you're saying your you know, good night before you go to bed at night, when you're doing everything that you're doing in everyday life, he says, just, just be speaking to them of the ways of God explaining, looking for teachable moments. Well, you know, this unique that this happened. Well, it's interesting. Well, the word of God says in relationship to that, that's often what we tried to do with our children when we were you know, raising them. They're all the adult stages now of, of life, but certainly to, to, to use opportunities like that, that in communication and just conversations, things would happen to try and use that as a platform to then teach scriptural understandings and spiritual truths. You know, I, I found very early on, if I tried to be like a Nazi with the family devotion thing, listen, on Thursday nights at six o'clock, we are going to sit down and have family devotion. I, I found it got more fleshly, for me personally, I mean, you, you do what works for you, but, but I found sometimes to try and get five human beings, four of which 
or ladies all together at the same time on time and all in a great mood to listen to me share something from the Bible for a few minutes was a real challenge sometimes. But I found that by being flexible and taking the word of God's approach that there were ways that throughout the years I found to just be creative in a, in a devotional way to explain the truths of God. I was driving the girls to school in the morning. I used to, we used to call it driving Devo. And so when I'd hit a certain spot to where I was taking them to the school in the morning when we passed a certain house, I'd say, it's driving Devo time. And I would just share what I read in my own personal devotional time that morning. And I would, this is what I read this morning. And I would just use it in a creative, flexible way to communicate the word of God. If they had a problem or a difficulty, again, just looking for creative ways like Deuteronomy 6 says to invest the word of God to them to impart scriptural truths. Well, look what the Bible says about that. Let's talk about that. And again, I think this very beautiful pattern can happen in a very informal way, but certainly as well. It's our God-given responsibility to teach them privately, to bring them to the gathering place of God, to the house of the Lord, so they can hear his word, have those things reinforced. And, And think of this. It seems very evident from the scriptural picture we have of Timothy as he says, you know these things that you've learned and what you've, who you've learned them from, from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures. The, the first chapter specifically identifies that, that Timothy's mother and grandmother were godly and the ones who had imparted the faith to him into his life. The Holy Spirit purposely chooses to make no mention of his father which sadly seems to indicate that his father was negligent in this responsibility, but praise the Lord that his mother and his grandmother took very serious this calling. And they embraced it and they imparted to Timothy what they could. And listen, teaching him the ways of God and the word of God, look what they unknowingly prepared Timothy for. They had no idea. Not only they were going to raise a godly young man, but that Timothy actually was going to be a godly, very effective minister. And that ultimately he would be the one who would step into Paul's shoes in such a way. So again, what a, what a gift and a blessing to have that spiritual foundation from childhood to be raised in the ways of God. Timothy, knowing the truths of God. I can just picture him you know, early on learning the truths of Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. Timothy, you remember that, son. Do you, do you want to keep yourself pure from being defiled, the pressures, the temptations of sin? Live according to the word of God, son. Again, I, you know, the, the, your word is a lamp unto my feet and light unto my path. Your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Notice again, not in your head, in your heart. Your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you because God's word is a restraining influence. And as he would retain the truths of God and hold them dear to his heart, it would help him. Timothy's childhood development, you could fairly say, very fairly, was focused foremost on spiritual cultivation and development. That was the focus of his upbringing. The focus of his upbringing was on spiritual cultivation foremost. And let me just say, by way of application for us this morning, as families... As parents, those raising children, wherever stages we may be in, what a wonderful example is set before us here as a pattern by the Holy Spirit. That as parents, grandparents, let us apply the same pattern that above all else, that we would seek to give our children a godly upbringing. Not necessarily the American dream, but a godly upbringing. 
that our primary focus, our primary role in ministry as a parent, listen, is spiritual development. That's the primary goal of parenting, spiritual development. It says in Malachi that even one of the intentions of godly marital unions, Malachi 2 says, is because God is seeking godly offspring. That's one of the reasons why God wants godly marriages. Two people who love the Lord to produce godly offspring. Ephesians 6 says to us as fathers, certainly to parents, but the, the emphasis laid upon the father in the home. It says, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. There's a training process. God calls us to, he charges us with. This is truly what the primary role of the parent is to be. And I just say this morning, it's helpful to do periodic inventory as a parent. Because as you're raising your children, ask, what is the primary goal of your parenting? What is your focus on foremost above all else? Because the honest reality is it can often be on many different things. Sometimes without even consciously recognizing the foremost goal of parenting is just to produce successful children. Well, they, I want them to succeed. They have to succeed. And so all the emphasis is on education. I mean, look, I'm not saying any of those things are wrong in and of themselves. But sometimes we're so focused on that they would be successful. Listen, you can raise a kid that is the most intelligent, successful kid that graduates with honors in the most prestigious university in the world and his life can be a failure, a moral failure, a spiritual shipwreck. And they can have all the best success in the world and be the most successful in whatever it is you want them to be successful in or be the greatest athlete in the NFL and their life be a shipwreck and their life be a nightmare. Or you can do everything in your power to make sure that your kids have the, again, nicest material things and all. The, they got to have fun. They got to give them a fun life. They got to have fun. And listen, nothing wrong with it in themselves. But if your focus is on all those other things to the detriment of not focusing on their spiritual development, you are doing a disservice to your child. Your primary goal, my primary emphasis in my parenting is to raise them to know the Lord to know how to live for the Lord, to worship the Lord. I tell you, the greatest accomplishment of the parent is to teach your children what it means to know Jesus and to see the fruit of that on the other side. And if you can make the investment to do that on the other side of that, then you see what they understand what it means to worship the Lord and to walk with the Lord and to live for the Lord. Listen, you've passed on to them something far more valuable than all the other things this world convinces of. And let me say this before I move on as well, from, from a, a child perspective, you know, whether you have been raised in a Christian home or you're being raised in a Christian home, listen, man, you ought to really appreciate that. The value and the benefit of that far supersedes all the other things. Oftentimes, you know, children and, and younger people, they don't see the value in it growing up. There's all the challenges and pressures. And, but listen, I'll tell you, when, when they get older and they start to mature and we start to mature, and you, if you've had a Christian upbringing, you look back in hindsight and you realize, man, I am so thankful that my parents raised me in the ways of the Lord taught me the word of God let me know where to find the truth about life the Bible says woe to him who strives against his maker that's a miserable way to live but how wonderful when somebody knows their maker from early on and they know where to go for the truth in the word of God now note what Paul declares one of the greatest benefits 
of the word of God is at the end of verse 15 there. He says the end of verse 15 that the word of God, the holy scriptures are able to what? Make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The Bible tells us the fool says in his heart there is no God. In other words, the literal language is the fool says no God. That is, says no to God. The fool says no to God. That's the natural inclination. But look how wonderful, notice, that the scriptures, Paul says, the holy scriptures are able to make a person wise. And not just wise in general, but notice wise regarding the most important understanding there is. Wise for what it means to understand your condition, you need to be saved. And who's the one who can save you? Jesus Christ, that you might have a relationship with God. It's through the truth of Scripture. A person has the ability to understand through the light given, the enlightenment of the Word of God. It's through the Word of God and the Holy Scriptures that a person becomes wise to understand why they need to be saved, what it means to be saved. The Scripture accurately teaches that God is holy that he's a righteous God and that he has a standard for heaven. It's the scripture that accurately teaches that we are all sinful, that there's no difference, that we all sin and fall short of the standard, the glory of God. It's the scripture that's honest enough to tell us that if we do not respond to receiving the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, and if we don't follow him and put our faith in him, that apart from Jesus, salvation is found in no other. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And that hell and eternal damnation is the destiny of the person who chooses to refuse and not believe upon Jesus Christ. It's the scripture that loves us enough to tell us that God demonstrated, however, his love in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly and that God made a way. And that God didn't want to be separated and loves us and reached out to us though we've rejected him, each and every one of us in our sinfulness. And that God gave his son to live the sinless life we can and then to die the sacrificial death in our place, taking the punishment and the pain for our sin. And that Jesus is alive from the dead and now the Savior. That God's made a way to be saved. And that that way is through Jesus. Notice that that way, he says, verse 15, how can a person then be saved? Well, he says it right there, through faith in Christ Jesus. The Bible gives us clarity in our understanding that salvation, notice, is by faith in Christ Jesus. The way to get saved or become right with God isn't by becoming a religious person. See, a lot of us, unfortunately, are either naive or never instructed or or foolishly thinking that sometimes okay i i know that i need to kind of be right with god so we then find ourselves in all types of religious activity and we think oh okay well i can just be a this or i can just do this many formalities or what are some religious observances i need to do and the bible would say no no that's foolishness god is saying that we're not saved by works that we're not saved by works, that we are saved by grace and through faith alone. And the foremost reason that we need to know that is that we cannot be saved by works. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God. It's not of works. Listen, that's important because you could be very foolishly duped into thinking that if you just try your best and try and be a good person, that somehow eventually things will work out in the end. The Bible says, no, no, don't believe that. The Bible says the truth is 
There's a gift that God is offering. It's free. And you must, as a sinner, recognize that you need forgiveness, that you need to be saved from hell, that you need to receive the gift of God, which is eternal life, to go to heaven, and that Jesus said what he meant and meant what he said when Jesus said, in the word of God, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets the Father but through me. And the word of God is what gives us the ability to understand this. In other words, point being as well that the primary reason the Bible is written is the revelation of a person. The, the prior, he says the, the Bible, the scriptures, is what makes us wise for salvation, which is in Christ Jesus. This book, this holy, wonderful, inspired book is not just a religious manual. Like a car manual. How do you work? The, you know, people say the Bible's basic instructions before leaving earth. Kind of like it's, you know, it's the manual for how you have a manual for your car and how it operates. There's some truth to that. I agree with that. It is a manual for how to live our life God's way in the right way. But before it's anything else, it is a book of revelation about a person. It's a book that's intended to reveal who Jesus is that we might know him. Jesus said in John 5 to those who were very religious, listen to what he said to those who were very religious. He said, you search the scriptures, you do a lot of Bible reading, for in them you think you have eternal life through the religious activity. And these, the word of God, the scriptures, are which testify of me, but you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. Jesus said, this testifies of me. The Pharisees loved the, 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 the rituals and the rules and the requirements and the commandments and quoting facts and, from the scriptures. But the problem is Jesus said, those scriptures are pointing to me. The Bible predominantly is written that we might know the Lord and have a relationship with him and come into a saving experience with him. And this morning, listen, my encouragement is, has the word of God brought you to a place where you understand that you need to be saved by Jesus Christ? That's the fundamental reason the word of God was written above all else, that God wants you to know Jesus and grow in that relationship with him. Now, Timothy had come to know this and he says, Timothy, this is the greatest value the word of God has brought to you thus far from your childhood all the way up to now you know Jesus Christ but notice he says to him verse 14 the exhortation was but he says Timothy you must continue in the word of God you've known it from very early on but you must continue again the scriptures had been his starting point and his foundation but Paul says look Though the word of God brought you to salvation in Jesus, though it gave you a godly foundation, he's trying to say to Timothy, starting well spiritually is no guarantee to finishing well spiritually. And he says, that's why, Timothy, listen, I don't care what everybody else out there is doing. You continue in the word of God. You stay in what you've known and been assured of, what's brought you to salvation and what's revealed God to you thus far. All the more with all the dangers and the deceptions, he says, Timothy, you must continue in the things you've learned, referring to the word of God. He was not to get lazy or negligent regarding his commitment to the word. The idea of continue there is abide, carry on. He's, he's telling Timothy, look, you must continue to make progress you got to stay in the Word. It's good you started in the Word, but don't deviate now. Stay in the Word of God. You already know the Word of God, but that's not sufficient. He says you need to continue to stay in the Word of God. Now listen, that, that, that's very critical, I think, for all of us because we need to remain connected to the Word of God 
and his ongoing influence in our life because sometimes we begin to get a, a you know a good understanding of the word of god maybe you're a christian right away you first get saved I mean, you're just devouring your bible and you're reading it and every time the doors of a church are open or a bible study you just you love the word of god and you're just enjoying learning it and reading it and 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 then all of a sudden you start to think well i mean my devotion can be i'll, I'll reflect on one of the verses i memorized 27 years ago listen c- can i encourage you we need to continue in the word of god we need ongoing continuous exposure to the truth the life and the power of the word of god he's going to talk about in verse 16 and 17 colossians 1 says we're to be increasing in the knowledge of god increasing continuously continuing peter says it this way which is very helpful he says in second peter 3 you therefore beloved since you know this beforehand beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness being led away with the error of the wicked how do you keep from doing that he says grow in the grace and the knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ notice continue to grow doesn't matter how well you know the word of god this book is is you're never going to exhaust the truths of the word of god the lessons the ways that god speaks to you and i found in my life and i've seen it in the lives of many others that indifference to the word of god apathy to the word of god a loss of appetite for the word all those kind of things indifference to the word of god and scripture will always lead to a decline in spiritual health because the life and the truth and the value of god's word is not feeding your soul we need to stay in the word of god continually be in it because then we're continually exposed to to the god's will and as we continually submit to the authority of god's word we are also simultaneously submitting to the authority of the Spirit of God because the Word of God and the Spirit of God work in conjunction. So do you want to walk in the Spirit? Do you want to stay submitted to what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in your life, to God's Spirit working in your life? I'll tell you the best way to do that, for starters, stay in the Word of God and submitted to the Word of God because God's Word and God's Spirit work in synchronization together and look at the value of scripture he wants us to understand verse 16 here's the reason why god's word should have such priority and and why we need to continue and he says here's why because all scripture is given by inspiration of god and is profitable for doctrine reproof for correction and instruction in righteousness that the man of god may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work so notice the basis and the importance of scripture right out of the gate he says there verse 16 look at it in the text he says because all scripture is given by inspiration of god or it could be translated god breathed the language literally indicates there even as the same way remember in genesis god breathed and, and breathe into Adam the breath of life and it says Adam came alive and he became a living being because God breathed into Adam it's the same idea here God breathed out his life into Adam so Adam came alive spiritually God's very life was breathed out in the very words of scripture in such a way that it would be produced and that scripture is alive it's not like any other book It's not like a history book or a textbook. It's a living book. It has the life, the very breath of God breathed into it. That's why Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. Hebrews 4 says the word of God is living or alive, the ideas. And notice as well, verse 16, circle it in your Bible. He says, all scripture. 
is given by inspiration of God. All scripture, including everything, excluding nothing. That means, listen, the genealogies and the law and the poetry and the promises and the prophecies and the commands and the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I know some of it is a little bit more challenging to digest, but God says it's all inspired. That's why we study it all. That's why we give our attention to all of it. Listen, there are certain things I enjoy eating much better than others. Filet mignon, absolutely. I'm on that. Some vegetables, some other... But listen, we need a well-balanced diet, right? We need all of God's Word because it's a well-balanced diet that we might digest all of the truths and the benefit God wants to give to us. And because God's Word is inspired by His Spirit and authored and originated from God Himself, it literally comes from the very mouth of the living God, that's why we believe in the entirety of Scripture, listen, as inerrant and infallible. Because inerrant means that the Word of God is incapable of being wrong, ever. It's inerrant. Listen, God's perfect. God can never be wrong. So the Word of God, the breath of God that's spoken into His Word, it's inerrant. There is no error in the Word of God. Even if we think it has error, the problem is we think it has an error. The error is with us. God's Word has no error in anything that it says. It is true and accurate. And it's also infallible. That means it will never fail or wear out over time. It has an eternal, permanent, lasting quality to its truths and all it says. Because again, the eternal God produced it and that's why it's infallible. It will never fail or falter over time. That's the reason for the Bible's reliability because it's a book of divine origin. It's a book that comes from the very God of creation himself who is eternal. God's spirit inspired the very recorded words. Now, it, yes, was delivered to us by the pens of human beings. It was recorded for us by the channel and the agency of men writing it down, but they were simply God's instruments to record what God wanted conveyed. Peter writing of this in 2 Peter chapter 1 speaks of the scripture saying, for prophecy never came by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. As they were being moved by the Holy Spirit. The word of God is not the ideas of men or, or you know, insights that men came up with. It's not a man-made document. There are so many ways that you could validate that again from you know, internal consistency. To, you're talking about a book that was written by multiple authors from multiple continents around the world over centuries and centuries apart. How do they all do that and somehow there be no contradiction? That's a human impossibility. The reality is there was one author through over many centuries used men from all different vocations, from different continents, different languages, and there's one consistent message because the one author was the one who Peter says men were being moved by the Holy Spirit as they recorded what they did. That language literally moved by in Second Peter there is to be carried along by the wind. The implication, it refers to how a ship would be moved in the direction it would go as the wind would fill the sails. And this is the implication there. God, listen, God without removing personality, without removing individuality of men, worked through distinct individuals guiding and influencing their thoughts and communication so that they would then convey his word to mankind. 
He didn't remove their personality or their individuality. He just guided, as the living God, he guided their thoughts. He guided their communication like wind in their sails, directing them to convey his word. Now, that means this, ladies and gentlemen, when you read the word of God, when you hear the scripture, you are hearing God speak. You are literally hearing the voice of God. The very breath of God is being breathed into our life as God's heart and will is revealed to us in order that we might learn how to know him and live for him. This book is God's ideas, God's desires, God's commands, God's plan. This is the reason why the word of God has such power. And listen, it is critical that we embrace by faith that understanding. And it is a choice to embrace by faith that this is the inspired inerrant infallible word of God because that will determine my attitude towards this book because if this book is the very words of God himself speaking to me the living God my creator and the very God of all creation and humanity speaking if that is truly what it is then that will infect the importance of what this book says that will affect the value of this book in my life, the way I relate to it, my response to it, my submission to it. Paul said to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, For this reason we thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which effectively works in you who believe. Paul said, we're so thankful that there in Thessalonica that when we brought the word of God to you, you didn't receive it and welcome it as the word of men. You welcomed it as it truly is, the very words of God himself. And that's why it effectively worked in our lives. Listen, I want to challenge you this morning. How do you truly welcome and receive the word of God? It's very easy to say, I believe the Bible is the word of God. Just like some people say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And some people, Jesus is going to say, when they say, Lord, Lord, he's going to say, I never knew you. You professed with your mouth that you were a follower of Jesus, but you truly weren't ever a follower of Christ. You just said the words. Look, it's very easy for all of us, especially among the church and Christianity, to say, this is the word of God. I believe it's the word of God. And to, to assent to that with our words is one thing, but to act like it's the word of God. Well, that changes everything. Because if I, I truly believe it's the word of God, then I'm going to act like it's the word of God. And its priority and its value and its importance in my life is going to be tremendous. The final authority it's going to have because I'm going to say, look, that is God's words. It doesn't matter what I think or how I feel or anyone else. That's what God says. God says it, that ends it. And so it becomes the final authority in all of our lives. The Bible here, notice, wants to see for us and let us see the, the, the benefits. He says, all scripture given by inspiration of God, notice, is, look at the word, they're profitable. I mean, how could you not see the benefit there? If it's God's word, certainly it's going to be profitable. The word profitable simply means to yield advantageous results. And you make a profit, how? By first investing into something and then something yields a return. That's how you make a profit. You invest into something and then it yields a return that is profitable or beneficial. And so much of what we invest our time and energy into in this human race, honestly, is it not, ends up being a waste. It ends up being a loss. 
But God's word is the most worthwhile investment you can make as a person. Isaiah 55 says that God's word will never return void in your life. Exposing yourself to the word of God will always benefit you greatly. I can't promise you that for all the other endeavors that you'll spend your life doing. But I can tell you this. Time in the word of God will never not be profitable. It will never not benefit you. It will always yield good things in your life. Hebrews 4 says the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. It's able to divide between soul and spirit to judge the thoughts and the intents of our heart. Like a surgical sword, it goes into our life and it, it, it cuts aside. Like this, I know you're trying to... This is spiritual. This is just soulish, man. This is just your emotions. But this is the truth. Or this is your flesh and this is the truth. And God's word, like a sword, goes into our life and it divides and it helps us to separate right from wrong in our lives. I encourage you, read Psalm 119, all the benefits of the word of God. One of my favorite there, Psalm 119, says, The entrance of your word gives light. Now, I don't know about you. I know one thing about myself. I'm a dark man. And on the inside, there's some darkness. I, I, I'm still trying to figure it out. But I find the reality is this. Anytime I open the word of God, God says, that's the way to shine light into your soul, son. Your mind's dark. Your heart's dark. But if the entrance of your word brings light, then I say, you know what, Lord? I need a little bit of light inside of myself every day because there's some dark parts to me. And it's the word of God as it enters into our being. It brings light to us, whether we're reading it, whether we're hearing it. Notice he says it's profitable. Verse 16, for what? For doctrine. Here's some of the things it's profitable for. That is instruction. It teaches us. It's through Scripture we learn who God is. We understand what God is like and what God's not like. We get to know God. Scripture's profitable to help us to learn and to understand who God is. Notice, the Bible not experiences spiritually. Nothing wrong with spiritual experiences. But it is the Bible, not spiritual experiences, that gives us the clearest revelation of understanding who God is and what God's will is. Our primary goal in this life should be to get to know God personally, and the best way to do that is from the Word of God because it profits us by giving us doctrine and instruction about God and His ways. It's also profitable, he says, verse 16, for reproof. That speaks of challenging or confronting. When somebody reproves you, they, they challenge or confront what you're doing that may be wrong or displeasing. The point there is he's saying it is the Word of God that is the righteous standard given by God's Spirit that basically holds up to us and confronts us in the mirror with the truth when we're in error. And I don't know about you, but my mind and my attitude quite often can be a little in error. And it's the Word of God that confronts and it reproves and it says, you got an attitude problem. Your heart's not right. And, and it's the Word of God that reproves us. And it's honest enough, more honest and, and direct than any friend or person could be to just reprove us and to challenge us. It reveals our sin to us. It convicts us. It confronts us when we're heading in a wrong direction and shows us by exposing what we're doing wrong. But notice, God doesn't just tell us what's wrong and leave us there. He says, thirdly, it's also profitable for correction. So God doesn't just say, you're wrong. Sorry about that. God says, you're wrong. Let me show you how to correct that. And the word of God then gives to us 
understanding how to fix things in our life. That word correction in the Greek speaks of setting something back to an upright state. It speaks of something that's fallen over and then you set it back up again. And this is the idea here. We're always fallen, right? We're always falling on our faces and making mistakes. And God says, yeah, you fell on your face there. The way You handled that wrong. Your attitude's not been right. But God doesn't just point out what's wrong. He also, through his word, corrects us. He assists us how to get things back on track. And it's through his word speaking to us that we know how to make necessary adjustments. God gives us counsel and he, he guides us back onto the right path to make correction, course correction, that we need in our lives. How do we resolve things the way God wants us to? Well, God's word tells us how. One translator renders that God's word is for the resetting of a man's life. I like that. The resetting of a man's life. God's word gives us correction. And notice as well, fourthly, we see verse 17. He says, or excuse me, verse 16, for instruction in righteousness. That is how to live right. God's word instructs me. This is how you live white. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. That's the idea there. The world's not telling you how to live right. Sometimes our teachers, our educators, you know, some of us, maybe even our own parents might not have taught us how to live right in every way and in every area. But God's word, like a faithful counselor, like a constant, true, reliable counselor will instruct us how to live right, to live right with God, how to live right with our fellow humanity and relationships. It gives us direction and guidance. It's a wonderful counselor to instruct us how to live right. The reason, verse 17, that the man of God, notice, we're not just men, we're not just women, we're men of God, we're women of God. We live for God so that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Notice, God wants us to be complete. The idea there is is brought to a place where we have all that we need, well-rounded. When he says thoroughly equipped for every good work, the imagery there is like a soldier that's well-prepared for the battlefield. And God's saying, this is what my word will do as it instructs and as it reproves you and corrects you. And as I give you instruction in righteousness, he says, like training for a soldier to go out into the battlefield, you'll be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Everything that life involves. J.B. Phillips says God's word makes a man fit for all branches of his work. And there are all kinds of branches to our life and our work. How to be a husband, how to be a wife, how to be a mom, how to be a dad, how to be a student who lives for Jesus among other friends and peers rather than getting caught into the world. How do I be a faithful worker? You know, all these different things. You know, how do I serve the Lord in ministry? All these branches in different ways, the good works and things that we have responsibilities for. God says, I want to thoroughly equip you. I can thoroughly equip you. I can train you better and equip you better than anything else you can read and anybody else you can learn from. And God says, I can do it through my word. Through my word. I can thoroughly equip you for all those things. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, we're all wrestling through the same things in our hearts and our challenging circumstances and hardships and trials and problems and challenges and 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 we're we're all fighting the same battle of our attitudes and our minds and our thinking but my 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 challenge to you is this what are you doing regarding the prescription 
that God gave to help with all that? What is your commitment level to the Word of God and its place in your life? Personally, in your reading, publicly, when there's opportunities to hear it spoken into your life, I challenge you, no other investment, no other investment will change your life more and will yield greater benefit and value in your life. Let's stand together. Let's pray.